Um, we're making our way. This is the 16th sermon in the book of 2 Corinthians that where we are mostly uh, on Sunday mornings these last months. And uh, we see in there some real particulars to the situation. And uh, we're going to get into some of that, not all of it this morning. Where we're going to focus is verse 2. And that's going to help us see what's going on in these verses. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. That's our focus. That's kind of the, the, that's the, the, main, the main verse among these 15. About three pages into the bulletin, uh, there's a, a little outline partially filled out for you if that helps you listen. The Bible says, people of God, that we are the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. That's what we call in theology an image of the church. We call it an image of the church. There are many images or metaphors or pictures of the church in the Bible. I think some people have counted a hundred or more total. You're familiar with a lot of them. Salt of the earth. Think about that on a weekend like this. In our nation, salt of the earth. Citizens of God is another one. A holy nation, that's another one. The new creation, that's an image of the church. It's a picture of the people of God. The most well-known one might be the body of of Christ. You know that one. Well, God chose to use all these different descriptions of the church to show us who we are in Jesus. All different angles on who we are in Jesus, who we are, and what our calling is in Jesus. Each one illustrates something absolutely vital for your life as a believer, for your life as a Christian, a member of of the church. The one we have here, Bride of Christ, is one of the bigger ones. It's here very clearly. You see it in Ephesians 5, verse 22 as well. If we're the bride, Jesus is the husband. He's called the bridegroom in a parable in Matthew 25. His return is described as the coming of the bridegroom on the wedding day. And the book of Revelation, and that book describes for us, talks about the end of time. The book of Revelation talks about the wedding banquet of the Lamb when Jesus, the groom, and his people, the bride, are going to be united and will be together forever in eternity. We have a calling as we think about this image of the church. When you think about the body of Christ as a picture of what you're called to, you think of what the Bible says about being a living and an active member of the body. We think about how each part of the body, each one of us, is important. Each part, whether it's uh, the finger or the toe or the arm or the eye, has a part to play that's key in the body. 
what we're called to in this text, thinking about ourselves as the bride of Christ, is God's call to purity. God's call to purity. To be pure. Paul's pretty explicit about it. A pure virgin. Boys and girls, a pure virgin refers to a woman here on her wedding day. And a pure virgin is someone who has prepared well for that day, as the Bible calls us to. It's a woman who has followed God's call for womanhood and will continue to on her wedding day and beyond when she and her husband become one. That, that picture of a bride on her wedding day, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Wonderful wedding ceremony uh, with the Grunewald family uh, just yesterday. Uh, a girl, a woman looking forward to that day dressed in that white dress. Why white? It's a symbol of that purity. That purity. The preparation, being devoted to the one that you're committing your life to. As believers, we take God's call to sexual purity very seriously, whether we're married or whether we're single. Now, when is the last time that you thought about your relationship to Jesus in that way, along those terms? Do you, are, have you actively been doing that? It's a main picture of the church in who we are in the Bible. The Bible says Christ is your heavenly husband. And we're the bride. We're called to be a pure virgin. We're called to have pure devotion. That says something about your walk with Jesus, doesn't it? That says something about the level of intimacy that there is between Jesus and his people. It says something about the closeness of the relationship. You know, there's, there's no relationship on this earth that's closer than the one between a husband and wife. The Bible says the two become one flesh. Well, God uses that picture to describe our relationship with Jesus as close a relationship as can be, in other words. Very intimate. Jesus has chosen us. He's chosen you as his bride. Uh, the Bible says when he did that, when he called us to himself, we were not a worthy bride at all, that we had made mistakes. And yet Jesus called us, he chose us, he brought us to himself, and he promises us, a beautiful, purely devoted life of commitment with him. So Paul's telling us here, he's reminding us of that image, that we're the bride of Christ. He's reminding us of the call of the bride, the call to you to be pure and totally devoted to your heavenly husband, to Jesus. As he does that, he is warning us. This chapter, these verses, is especially, are especially a warning. There's an imminent 
threat that he talks about here, an imminent threat to the purity. Imminent means about to happen or very near. Do you boys and girls remember the, the storm from a couple weeks ago? I think it was about a week and a half, maybe a little longer now. Did you hear the tornado sirens that night where you lived? Because we sure did in Villa Park, didn't we, girls? When tornado sirens go off, it means there is imminent danger. That means there is real danger. Imminent danger that a tornado could come in. When we heard the sirens, Sarah and I went upstairs to our second floor. I grabbed Sophia. She grabbed Adriana. And we all went into the basement. And uh, we were a little concerned with how many sirens were there. We were concerned because there was a real, a real danger, an imminent threat. And that's what Paul's talking about. An imminent danger when we think about our relationship to Jesus. Something that threatens the purity that we need to be aware of. And, and what Paul is talking about here is an attractive competitor. Even though Jesus deserves all our affection and our love in this life, there is an attractive competitor to Jesus that, that tempts us and tries to pull our devotion away. There are always competitors. Satan would like nothing better than for you and me to stray from our first love. That's what the Ephesian church did in Revelation 2, we read. The Old Testament church did it time and again, and the Bible talks about it as committing adultery. The book of Hosea is really a lot about that. If we are the bride, if the goal is purity, we have to know it's not always easy to stay pure. There are threats to the purity. There are threats to your relationship with Jesus. Just like it's possible to be less than pure sexually, it's possible to commit spiritual adultery. It's possible to prostitute ourselves as God's people. And that's what he's warning. He's, a, he's afraid for them in verse 3. He's afraid they're being led astray. What's the imminent threat? What's the danger? The danger is in verse 5. You see that quote-unquote super apostles? Super apostles? Maybe the makings of a new uh, superhero movie. A lot of, they're big the last, the last few years. Somehow I'm not sure it'd, it'd go over that well, the super apostles. But that's the threat he's talking about. He's saying it tongue-in-cheek. He's saying it sarcastically. These people who are acting like they're super apostles. We've seen them in this book before. They were people who were making themselves out to be better than Paul. And they were leading people astray. They were false apostles. They were acting like they were all that, superheroes of the church, super leaders who were incredible, who were awesome, who were cool, who were better than Paul. And what seemed to be the main deal here is that they were very charismatic leaders. And I'm using that word in the sense of they were all flash. They were very attractive. They were smooth speakers. That's not how Paul was. We have a lot of indications that the Apostle Paul was not flashy. He was not a slick speaker. 
verse 6. He even hints at that. I may not be a strained, a trained speaker. And in every age, charismatic leaders will draw people, and they're very attractive. They gain followers. You look at our politicians. Since the time of JFK and televised debates, the most attractive presidential candidate seems to win. And usually that includes the tallest in almost every case. Whoever's tallest, whoever's most attractive will win. The most charismatic. You look at the last 30 years, Reagan and Clinton, George W., Obama, all presidents with tremendous charisma, both on TV, which is important to all of us because we're watching it, and in person. And the thing about this The danger is when someone has charisma and is just sort of has this magnetic personality, what they say doesn't always matter to us. Just because of the magnetic personality, people listen. They hang on every word. People are mesmerized. And if you listen carefully to what some politicians say, it might not even totally add up rationally. You know what I'm talking about. But the charisma pulls people along. Little half-truths, deceptions will be ignored because people are mesmerized with the personality. You see that with the news reporters and news anchors on TV too. Notice how they always pick very attractive-looking people? If the person is handsome... Or beautiful, the TV stations know that people will watch no matter what's coming out of their mouth. And we have to be careful when it comes down to it because TV stations want people watching more than anything so that they will get their advertising dollars. That's what it's all about for TV. And in the battle between truth and charisma and attractiveness... I don't think the truth always wins out in our day. Now, that can happen in the church, too. And that's what Paul is warning against. That's what these super apostles were up. People are suckers for charisma. There have been leaders in the Christian world that people follow because they're attractive and charismatic. They're like celebrities. People want to just get close to them and be around them. And these leaders can even be teaching outright heresy and against what the Bible clearly says, but people will overlook that because they're so winning. They're so amazing. They seem so godly and sincere and pious and righteous. Paul is saying, I may not be a trained speaker, verse 6. I may not be a charismatic an attractive leader, but I do have knowledge. Paul is saying step back from the charisma and flash and think. Use your minds. He's saying listen to what I have been teaching you all along. He's saying these false teachers will use you up. You'll lose your devotion and your purity. And you're going to be sitting dazed on the curb the next morning. They're going to lead you astray from your first love from Jesus. Paul is saying in verses 7 and following, and we're not going to get all into details. He's saying there he had no motive 
to lead them astray. He's saying, I've been the real deal. He said, I've done everything I did, and that was including not accepting pay from them. I've done everything I did to be above board, to be upright. I've only wanted you to remain pure and true. So he's working really hard to get people away from this temptation toward charisma and get back to the foundation of God's word. He's saying, don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. He's literally saying, don't jump into bed with leaders like that. You look back to 1 Corinthians 12, when this came up a number of sermons ago, you see the Corinthians were attracted to the pizzazz and the flash. And we can do the same sort of thing. We can get suckered in. The result will be devastating. A different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. The church can be totally taken in. And ultimately, this is deception from Satan himself, verses 14 and 15 say. Paul is warning us of this very real threat to our relationship with Jesus. This very real threat to the purity and the devotion that we're called to. He says early on in our verses that he has a godly jealousy for them. And God says in in the Old Testament, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Don't you always find that kind of odd God's like proclaiming that he's jealous because we don't usually think of jealousy as good but bad. But there is a godly jealousy. And if it's godly jealousy, it's a good jealousy. God has it for his people. Paul had that for them. God is jealous. What does that mean? God is jealous for us in the sense that he doesn't want to share us with anyone else. He wants us to only be with him, listening to his voice, to his word, following his spirit, listening to his son. And no, no matter what, no matter how alluring competitors could be, think of a husband sharing his wife with another man. It's unthinkable. It would make a husband sick. That's good jealousy. That's godly jealousy. You don't share your spouse with anyone. That's godly jealousy. That's what we're talking about here. We don't adulterate ourselves. We don't mess around with other gospels, false teachings. We stick with Jesus. We're called to be discerning in what and who we listen to and what we take in in our day and age. Don't be suckered. There, there are false teachers out there. Don't be suckered. Now, how can we do this? How can we have this pure and sincere devotion to Jesus? I just have two thoughts as we conclude on how our purity will be preserved. How our purity can be preserved. One, look to the work of God. Verse 3 takes us to the very beginning of the Bible. This is one of only two places that Eve is mentioned in the whole New Testament. She was deceived 
by the cunning of Satan, she lost the purity and innocence of only belonging to the Lord. Adam fell almost immediately with her, and they represent all humanity and our inability to stay faithful on our own. But God had a plan, didn't he? There was a promise already in the garden that Jesus would come, that he would make atonement for our sins and our shortcomings on the cross. His cleansing makes all who belong to him pure again. He washes away all our sin. He washes away all your sin, whatever sin you might have in your life. And now we can be that spotless bride and meet our bridegroom because the bridegroom gave his life for his bride. That's the great news that Paul was all about. That's the knowledge. The knowledge of that is what we need. That's the gospel. It's the message of Jesus and his love. That's what he's proclaiming. That's what he calls the church to proclaim. Anything else, anything different, as he says here, it needs to be rejected and you need to run away from it. You want to be devoted? Do you want to meet him on the last day and be at the best wedding banquet ever? You turn to Jesus. Stay close to him. Depend on the grace of God. He will preserve you to the very end. Nothing can snatch his people out of his hands. By God's grace, we will make it to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Look to the work of God and depend on that. Secondly, stay grounded in the truth of God's word. Be sure you are in a church where that is proclaimed and nothing else, no other gospel. Don't get suckered by false teaching no matter how attractive a package it might come in. Don't mess around. The bride of Christ, God's people, have prostituted themselves with false teachers, charismatic leaders. It's happened. It happens today. And they've regretted it later. Don't let personality or flash fool you. Look deeper. Use your mind. Listen to God's word. Know God's word yourself. That's the ultimate test. And that's why we're so careful to teach and preach and listen to God's word here at Faith CRC. We're here to be grounded in nothing else than the real Jesus and the real gospel because that's what we need. That's what people around us need. So make sure that is a real concern you have. Make sure that you instill that love for God's word in your family and loved ones and the people you influence, that you prioritize that. If you do, you'll be listening to Paul's warning and you'll stay pure and devoted. There's nothing more beautiful and more fulfilling in your life. And I don't care what you come up with, what in your life that you enjoy, and there's lots of good stuff that God has blessed us with to enjoy. There is nothing more beautiful and fulfilling 
than you staying close to your Savior, Jesus Christ, in your life. And for you, if you have a family, to ensure as a leader in that family that that is a priority for your life and kids. That devotion is number one. We're here to do that together as a church too, to build each other up in that devotion and purity and staying close to Jesus. In the midst of very real threats around us, in our lives, in this world, in this culture, we're here to work on that together. And we're here to invite others to have this beautiful relationship with their heavenly husband, Jesus. As God preserves us and keeps us, and as we actively stay close to him, grounded in the gospel, we're going to arrive on that last day, the end of time, a pure bride ready to meet Jesus and enjoy him forever and ever.